0: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by T-shirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear
1: just a beautiful autumn day in the Blue Ridge Mountains. The fans of the Virginia Tech Hokies dressed in colors that match the fall foliage. But beneath the scenery, this is a very hostile setting for visiting football teams. Ryan Williams, one of the stars emerging in college football and big play quarterback Tyrod Taylor, will try to increase the misery of Butch Davis and the Tar Heels of North Carolina, getting desperate for the men in blue. What's good, everybody? My name is Joey Powell, and you're tuned in to the first ever edition of the Throwback on the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. You've never heard of me before, I'm sure, but I'll let you know I'm a 2001 grad of UNC. Huge fan of all things Tar Heels. Uh, I'm raising my kids up that way. My wife's a Tar Heel. Um, and I'm really thankful for for Buck and, and Ben for giving me a chance to, to launch this kind of project I've been working on. Give you guys a little backstory about the Throwback. It's an idea that I had after Hearing Bill Simmons' podcast, The Rewatchables, if you haven't checked it out, please do. They talk about movies, and they go back and, and kind of do similar to what we're going to do here. But I heard that. I'm like, man, why couldn't we do this with big-time Carolina games? Uh, and you know, being charitable and cautious, I pitched, uh, pitched Buck with it, and they liked it. And uh, we've been talking about it ever since. And kind of want to let you guys know that our goal of this pod is just to take a look at meaningful games in Carolina history and just let the, let the nostalgia hit you. Right. You know, everybody always wants to talk about the good old days. Well, there's some good current days with Carolina sports, but there's also some good old days that we want to talk about. And what we're going to do today, uh, our first panel that's going to watch this with me, the two guys I want to I want to bring in to to lighten up and brighten up and make this an intelligent conversation. Uh, first, we'll go to to Magnum T.A., Tommy Ashley. And then also we've got number 66 in your programs, folks, but number one in your hearts, Mike Angersault. Boys, what's up? What's going on, Joey? Appreciate you having me, man. It's a a pleasure
2: to be on with you on your first, and I'm glad you're part of Inside Carolina podcast team.
0: Yeah, Joey, this is going to be fun. For for those who don't know, Joey is a uh, a good friend of mine. He's also a good friend of, and this is actually how I know Joey, through my my line, uh, my In the Trenches podcast compatriot, Earl Jefferson Wilson. Jefferson's not his middle name, but
1: it doesn't matter. Egbert Jaworski-Wilson, yes, that's correct. correct. Earl, uh, Earl J. Glad Earl to J. have Wilson. you. <laughs> Earl J. Um, yeah, big, uh, big fan of of both of, of you guys for joining me. And and we'll hear from EJ a little bit later on. Today's game, the game that we're going to be talking about, uh, and this this game and this podcast and most of our other ones are, as you guys are well aware, are going to be brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt, right smack dab on Franklin Street. Guys, I've got a confession while we're talking about firsts. My first trip to Chapel Hill on a college visit, the first store I went to on Franklin Street actually was Johnny T-shirt. Uh, it's got a special place in my heart. I actually, no kidding, I was telling Tommy yesterday, they, they had their 20% off T-shirt sale last week. Uh, and then you throw in the IC code on top of that, save you a nice 30% on some T-shirts. I don't know what kind of great sale they've got running this week, but, but be sure to check them out You know, with, with all of what's going on with COVID-19 and our current climate economically we want to take care of of the folks that take care of us and help to bring you this this great content from inside carolina so please hit up johnny t-shirt get any kind of gear you want pregame, game post-game in-game spring fall winter whatever season you want they've got it they've got all different kinds of brands good looking stuff every sport you can think of johnny t-shirt locally owned on the web johnny t com. hit them up they'll ship the stuff to you so you don't even have to leave your house you know we're all supposed to be staying home right now so so give Johnny T-shirt some love and thank him for, for supporting this pod and all the work that they support with Inside Carolina. Um, first thing I want to do to, to give the listeners an idea, we're going, we're going to open up the show here and tell you what we're, what we're watching today. Uh, today we're watching the 2009 UNC game at Blacksburg for football. And why does this game matter? I mean, this game mattered because it was the first real big win that, that Carolina had in a, in a kind of a, a turning point season for Butch Davis. But, yeah, they went up and won this game at VT. They ended up winning the game 20-17. to 17. And as we're rewatching watching it, I mean, guys, what did you think about this game before you went back and watched it? What what were your thoughts? Tommy, I'll go to you first. You know, Thursday night in, in, Blacksburg, in Blacksburg is a big deal,
2: and this is one of those games. You know, Butch Davis had come to Carolina. 2007 season was rocky. 2008, there was a – uh, there were a couple of nice wins in there. The Notre Dame game remains uh, my favorite game in Keenan stadium for personal reasons. But then you come to Florida state Thursday night in Keenan stadium a week before this one and Carolina's up at halftime and they totally melt down on the national stage. I mean, the the atmosphere, everything Butch Davis talked about wanting was there on that Thursday night against Florida state and Carolina couldn't get it done. And so heading to Blacksburg, and at the time, we're talking heyday Virginia Tech football. They had won 10 That's or right. 11 games for several years in a row. They were ranked until they lost, to, I believe, Georgia Tech. A couple of weeks prior, they were ranked in the top three or four. And so this was game, game was huge for them, but it was also, for me, huge for Butch Davis because we'd heard the hype. Um, I knew he was coming to Carolina before it ever became public from some inside sources that were responsible for getting him hired there. And so the hype train was real, but Carolina comes in at four and three, having lost all their ACC games, and they're going into Blacksburg. My question going in was, can Butch Davis really get it done in Chapel Hill? And he had a stacked defense, and we'll talk about it more. Stacked defense. Could they get it done? And 0-3 in the conference, they weren't getting it done. And and so that was me going in, Joey. Can Butch Davis figure out how to do this while he's
1: in Chapel Hill? Yeah, man, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head with a couple of those things there. I mean, this was a Virginia Tech team that was, like you said, in the top five in the nation. They had lost to Georgia Tech the week before. And they were still number 13 coming into this game, uh, Carolina coming off that loss. Mike, now I, I, I know you may not have remembered watching this game because you were, you, know, you, were, you had other things going on. What, what was your memory when you guys were going into this game uh, at, at Blacksburg on a Thursday evening?
0: Yeah, what, what you're alluding to is CTE. That's what I had. Is why I can't remember what happened in we're, this game. We're
1: not making light of CTE here, Mike. Let's just uh, – I, I don't want to get myself fired I, before we even Dr., start.
0: Dr. Guskowitz, I'm very sorry. I'm not making fun of CTE. <laughs> but but the sensors you put in my helmet in 2006 provided me ample entertainment for all those scout team afternoons when I wasn't doing anything. So thank you, and I'm sorry for destroying your data set for an entire year. Um. Anyway, so uh, what what I was thinking going into that game – was the same thing that most of my teammates were thinking it's what what the hell is going on right now um you know we we came out at florida state game and to be honest with you from an offensive standpoint to this day i that game doesn't it does, doesn't feel like a loss like i just don't i don't have an explanation for it um that was and i've said this before that was one of the most excited one of the biggest games and one of the most exciting times I'd ever had preparing for a football game. I was playing against, you know, Bobby Bowden in his final season, Florida State at home, first Thursday night game in Chapel Hill at home. It's Butch Davis versus Bobby Bowden. You know, it's Miami versus Florida State, but now it's it's us. Um, we had the head coach. We had – the the history between the two head coaches we had the this historical um this this sorry this historic florida state program coming in and i was expecting the best fastest most physical athletes i'd ever seen um and that is not what we got i thought that was the softest team we played all year long and i've said that to people uh, till my face has turned blue um i thought that 2009 florida state team was one of the was 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 the softest defense that we'd lined up against that I had ever lined up against as a as a starter um that includes one aa opponents that includes you know bottom feeding a c c teams i th- i was i was disappointed now i don't know if they were factually the softest or the least disciplined or the least skilled but i the the expectations for me were so high going into that game that I honestly could not believe um the talent level and the effort level that I was playing against, it was so low that I was woefully disappointed at the end of that game. That being said, we ran the ball up and down their throats. And I felt like we offensively completely dominated that game from start to finish. Lawrence Taylor was there his first time back in Chapel Hill. He talked to us in the hotel the night before the game. I mean, he had everybody just jacked up to play that football game. And then we lost and I'm sitting there and I'm like, how did we just lose that football game? And it didn't feel like a loss, right? It just, Cause that whole game, I felt like offensively, we dominated everybody and we held up our end of the bargain. And it was the first time really that our defense, our story, defense, our stack defense that Tommy alluded to just, you know, in the, for the previous two, three years leading up to that, they just laid an egg. They just didn't get it done. And it's like, well, can we be mad at them? I guess we can't because they've carried us through so many other games. Um, So it's really, it was very, it was a very weird mix of emotions going into Virginia tech. It's like, well, we expect to win every game, and we had expected to win all seven games leading up to that Virginia Tech game at that point, also. Um, again, none of those felt like losses. It didn't feel like we, it felt like we gave the games away, you know, that we just, we didn't win the game. It wasn't that we lost it, it was that we just didn't win those games. So going into Virginia Tech, there was, a, there was an internal confidence level that fans won't understand, and certainly wasn't apparent by the record or the production that was on the field, but we knew how good we were. And we knew what we were capable of as a team, particularly from a talent standpoint. So we expected to win in Blacksburg. Um, I remember Cam Chancellor and those guys gave us enough uh, bulletin board material in the papers the night before while we were sitting there in the um, in the hotel room. I think we stayed, is it Lynchburg we stayed in? Um, you know, in the hotel room, we're reading the, the papers that night. And, you know, there was enough bulletin board material in some of those articles that we cut out that, you know, added some fuel to the fire. We felt like we had to make up for that Florida State game. We had to make up for the, you know, the 0-3 ACC start. Um, but there was no, there was never an inkling of we're going to lose this game. It was full, we fully expected to win that and every game we played that season. So um, it was a very weird, I don't want to call it emotionless time, but it was emotionless from a from a panic standpoint. There was no panic as far as we were concerned. It was business We We had... Yeah. we had we had no panic it wasn't even really a sense of urgency it was a let's just go out here and do what we're capable of and, and and finally get this get this show back on the
1: road yeah so I remember um I remember going into that game uh yeah I actually had a chance to go to that one I remember going into that game too thinking uh you know we we just had had our hearts ripped out against Florida State and driving up to Blacksburg it was this is a, a total aside but it hopefully helps our listeners kind of put the game into context. It was a really beautiful day. Uh, October 29th, you're getting close to Halloween. It's, it's fall at its fullest. Uh, I guess if that's an analogy, um, you know, it, it was, it was, you get your typical Thursday night, uh, at, at, Blacksburg, you know, the inner Sandman, the, the, the loud, I actually have in my notes right here. This place is so freaking loud. Um, and I do remember that being really, really just, other level out, even with Virginia Tech coming off a loss. Because like you guys said earlier, it was, it was Virginia Tech in their heyday. Um, so the next part, let's go ahead and get into the next thing of, of kind of, um, you know, the, the rewind. And this is just a little bit of a, a tip for, for our listeners. This is the part we're just going to let you guys know, hey, what, what was the season of the landscape looking like? We mentioned earlier what, what had been going on with Virginia Tech coming off a loss in Atlanta to Georgia Tech. And you would see coming off a loss at home uh, at Kenan Stadium where, you know, Florida State just bull rushed them in the second half. Uh, Virginia Tech was actually playing for what would be their six straight ten win season. Um, to kind of put things in context, they finished out the year that year 10-3. and three. The only losses they had were Alabama, Georgia Tech, and Carolina. Uh, so, again, pretty good squad out there. Um, you know, it, the UNC would end up having a a decent year. I think they ended up winning four or five games, but all that stuff got, uh, got tossed away by the NCAA. We won't get into that. Um so that kind of gives you a little idea of what the the whole landscape looked like right then. Now let's get to the game fellas. Uh this section I I I'm, I'm, we're going to call what had happened was um let's talk about the major events of the game, you know, like uh, let's go into that and then kind of the flow. I mean uh, Mike, what do you remember uh, especially when you rewatch this? G- give me like the 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 first major thing that jumped out at you or, or something that that you feel like was a real you know, snapshot of this game, kind of your, your nuclear memory. Yeah. Joey, I'm glad you picked this game because I, I have such a vivid memory of this,
0: of this particular game from the field level. Um, It's one of the, it's one of the few games that sticks out almost verbatim play by play in my head. Uh, My grandmother actually had a picture of this that she uh, clipped out of the newspaper down in Ori County, down in Myrtle beach out of the Ori County newspaper um, and she had it framed. It was after Casey hit his hit the game winning kick, and there's a shot of Trace Jones hugging Casey, and I'm in the background with my big fat belly jumping up in the air with both my arms <laughs> up, looking like a looking like a jovial little 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 fat twelve year old, like some kid out of Heavyweights. Um, but uh, and 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 in all white uniforms, so the so the struggle was real, right? It looked it was it was much wider. Because of the you know the lighting and the fluorescence and the light bounces off the white jerseys, and you know they Lyman well, the, have the a newspaper whole
1: adds thirty pounds
0: lyman <laughs> Lyman have a whole understanding of how white hits uniforms and how pictures add pounds trust me <laughs> um, no but what, what i mean what's what 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 stuck out to me was um panning over the stadium and you see. You see those fans, right? And you see how jam-packed Lane Stadium was for a Thursday night game. And folks don't really remember this, but um, on ESPN on Thursday nights, Virginia Tech had only ever lost one game at home, ever. I mean, you're walking into quite literally a Death Valley. Like, they'd lost one game ever. It was back in, was it 2005 or 2004, to Matt Ryan and Boston College in the pouring rain. If anybody remembers that and Matt Ryan rolled that out game to was his like
1: seven to six or something, wasn't it?
0: He rolled out to his left and he launched one across his body into the end zone that we scored that Casey kicked the game winning kick in our game, launched one across his body, other side of the field and the dude caught it as he was falling down in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. It was wide open and that's how they won the game. Um, that's the only game up until 2009 against UNC that Virginia Tech had ever lost on Thursday night at home. So, you know, you talk about the Butch Davis hype was real, Tommy. The hype to play Virginia Tech on Thursday at home was real. And as they panned over the stadium, you saw the fans jammed into that place. um, Something you didn't see this past season and has been waning for the past couple of years, which honestly is shocking to me about the Virginia Tech fan base, because for as long as I've been following college football, um, they have always been a powerhouse and those fans have always been some of the best in the country. But then I watched that, I see it pan over, I see all the fans, and then I vividly remember looking over on third down with that damn turkey gobbling in the background through the loudspeakers and seeing the ball before Cam Holland put his hand on it. Watching the ball on the field actually shake because of all the sound and all the pressure coming from the stands. Because those of you who haven't been on the field at Virginia Tech, the stadium is built for noise. The stands go straight up on all sides. There's no tiering. Um, so it's, it's not like you have an upper deck and a lower deck or an upper bowl and a lower bowl like Keenan. It's all one massive sheet of seats. And because of that sound and energy and vibration funnels down onto the field, and you could actually see the ball physically moving before Cam put his hand on it. Um, and I, and if, you, if you were to ask Cam Holland, he'd probably tell you that's his first memory when he thinks back to that game is how ungodly loud it was and how awesome it was to convert on third downs and shut all that up.
3: That, man, that's that,
2: a, Yeah, that's that, that was great. Right yeah, man. That that. Tommy, uh, what do you got, man? man? Just listening to Mike talk about that. And I, you know, Mike and I have talked a lot on these podcasts and, but the thing I enjoy the most is hear him talk about stuff like that. And, That was, you talked about, Joey, you went up there to that game, but we had just met some people from Virginia Tech at the beach the summer before, and they invited us to come up to that game, and we couldn't make it happen, Um, and, and so to miss out on that environment. And, you know, when I looked at this game, when we went back and watched it again, you know, I watched Mike Ingersoll out there. I didn't see his number called once. And he was one of the few, if not the only lineman for Carolina that didn't have his number called in some form. <laughs> for a false start. If for for some reason or another, um, whether it was Dyer going in and out, Cam Holland coming back and forth, or couple guys on the left getting some false starts but
0: Now see Tommy this is the kind of ego stroking that I appreciate from you. Not like what you did to me the last time we were on a pod <laughs> together. And you completely destroyed my soul. The the message boards the message boards remind me enough of how much I sucked when I played. I don't need my <laughs> own friends doing it for me. I even
2: caught flack on the boards, you know, like on a instant message from somebody saying, Come on man Ingersoll <laughs> is great for you guys. I'm serious. Let Ingersoll oh. live. <laughs> you you played, and I I remember you talk about remembering moments in the game. Yeah, you know, I think the game sort of, and we can talk about it, break it down a little further, but I think when Ryan Houston came in, I think that's when Carolina started, when you guys started to get some momentum <laughs> on offense. And, and there was a, a third down play and it was later in the game um but I don't want to jump you know all the important stuff but it was later in the game where third and short maybe and Houston gets to third down and who is right there with him moving the pile and that was number 66 so I stroke your ego when it's warranted my man I you know I'm always in awe of your abilities and you played your butt off in this game
0: I appreciate that and Ryan yeah. Houston Ryan Houston holds a special place in my heart um, it was him coming to Carolina was, was a, was a breath of fresh air for me. Cause for those who don't know, Ryan was my high school running back. Um, and he was extremely highly touted coming out of high school. Uh, he was one of the top two or three running backs in the country. I think, um, he was certainly the best back in North Carolina and still holds a bunch of records. So Ryan was, you know, Ryan was my buddy and we, we got closer in college than we were in high school. So, you know, when he was on the field, I felt, a uh, an extra special urge to make sure that he was successful um, linemen have a weird uh, very close relationship with their running backs generally, but you know, I had a special little bond with Ryan there. Um, wait for the message boards to blow that one up into something. It's not, but I gave you enough fuel, I well, guess. Tom,
1: Tommy, it's 2020 it, everybody I mean. get
0: over it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, this is Ingersoll at least. I love it. Uh, Tommy, you hit on something there that I think was really good about when Ryan Houston first got into the game because you know, if you guys remember, there was the game starts. Virginia Tech gets a big chunk play and then turns it over, and, and so the the first part of the game really didn't have much of an identity. And I made in my notes that you know Houston comes in and starts to get Carolina's first real yards at about the 227 mark in the first quarter. And, and Ingersoll alluded to it, and and Tommy noted. I mean, yeah, you know, he kind of was the game changer, um, guys. I, you know, I, I mentioned about the, the that kind of initial. Uh, turnover and that that change what Tommy what did you think about kind of the way and the first wave and then the start of this game and how it felt you know was there back and forth did you feel like like I did like it was just kind of a a stalemate and everybody feeling each other out what do you think you know I, I believe especially when you go back and watch
2: it again you sort of listen a little closer than maybe you did watching it the first time but they talked about Ryan Williams and Ryan Williams and Ryan Williams. I mean, to show you how good Virginia Tech was at the time, David Wilson was third string, and David Wilson could play. He was a freshman, but he was third string. And so they they trumpet Ryan Williams. He comes out, and he has that big play, and then they have a long pass play, and I believe Charlie Brown causes the fumble. You know, I don't, I don't know that games are decided – And they're clearly not decided early. But if Virginia Tech goes down there and scores on that opening drive, I just don't think this is a 2017 game at all. Um, Because after what Florida State had done in the second half against Carolina's defense, I just think there's a lot at play there. But for Carolina to get that turnover, for Brown to make that strip, and and they get the recovery. And then it's back and forth, and it's ugly. Like we talked about. I mean, (laughs) it was – you could have missed the entire first quarter and not missed a thing until Ryan uh, Ryan Houston comes in that, and then Carolina is able to move the ball and it remained ugly.
0: Well, the one um, thing, the one thing you would have missed is you would have missed
2: Grant Shalik laying that dude out. Damn it, you stole there. my thing, and I was gonna, I was going there. I promise
1: you, I got it in my notes. <laughs> it's on uh, my too. It's okay. Ingersoll got to it first. Mike, let let everybody know what play you're talking about. Oh uh, yeah, so so it's
0: third down we are it's fourth down. Sorry. We got, we had to go three and out. Grant gets up. Grant was our six foot seven ginger punter. Um, kid had an absolute <laughs> kid had a howitzer for a leg. Um, his problem was his furtherance was always right. His tordance was often off. Um, so Grant, watch, was, your,
3: watch
1: your mouth. We, I don't know all those big words.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> Grant had, Grant had all the skill in the world. He was a great, and he's a great guy. Um, and he was a good punter. And on this play, um, you know, Grant just kind of lets one fly. And the returner beats the coverage slightly, right? But he got forced towards the sideline, and here comes Grant Shalik out of nowhere. And just this six foot seven ginger bean pole. And this kid doesn't even see him coming. <laughs> he lays him out. I saw I saw the kids, he got decleated by a punter about and and soared three or four yards
1: out of bounds
0: through the coaches, through some of the players.
1: So J. Ron Hosley, the 170-pound, very quick, true freshman, he was hit by the punter after a 19-yard return. The punter a was physical tackle. But this is an athlete. We were talking to Butch Davis in, in pregame, and this this punter is a big physical athlete from high school
0: and Grant gets up, and he's just going nuts, and Butch comes over and starts punching the kid in the helmet. It was the most excited I think I'd ever seen Butch Davis at that point, point. Um, and I think and that play right there kind of set the tone for the remainder yep. of the game, particularly on defense, yep. um, but it sort of set the tone for the remainder of the game, and we fed off of that for the rest of that game, and just slowly, and feeding off of it wasn't Getting into a shootout. Some games are different. This was one of those different games. Feeding off of that in this context was just keeping it close long enough so that we could we could end up with more points on the board as there were zeros on the clock. Um, but that's how we fed off of that against what was an incredibly talented and deep Virginia Tech team. Yeah, that, that when he did Tommy, that. Did he miss
2: anything? No, he didn't. But when he did that, I said uh, you know, Nikita Koloff off the top rope going back to the, the NWA days. But, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, but that play there was like, here we are. Carolina's here. We've come to fight. We're in your stadium on Thursday night. You got it rocking and rolling. And our punter just sickled your kid. <laughs> and now it's time to play. And then from there, I thought Carolina had the upper hand. And one of the guys that we hadn't talked about yet. And is probably one of those guys that might not be in Carolina history books anymore, but Greg Little came to play after that. And that's A- when it really absolutely.
1: turned. So I, I want to go ahead and make this known full disclosure, Tommy, you'll always get points for an old school wrestling shout out on this pod with me. <laughs> um, I don't Since we're both talking about that, since you guys both mentioned that, that shallow, uh, uh Russian shellacking. I don't see that. Yes, well done, well done. If you guys will watch on the replay and any of any of our listeners who want to go back and watch it. A few minutes after that, you can tell they just reset, you know, they went to break, they come back to the game. They get a shot of one of the Virginia Tech chain gang members. And you can tell by what's going on that they're showing the replay on the video board. And the chain gang members looking at it and just saying, you know, talking about how evil of a play that is. If you look in the background, you can see Shalek behind him by about six or seven feet laughing his rear end off. <laughs> so that's something to look for when you go back and watch this. All right, Tommy, you already – you tease us to the next part. This is this is what we're going to call in the show, we're going to call it this guy. Tommy, is, is Greg Little your this guy for this game?
2: On offense, yes. I mean, Greg Little, you, you know, I, I don't know what to make of Greg Little – looking back at this time but he could play and that when he came in you know I think Yates hit him for a big third down conversion maybe and then he had the long run and then he got a pass you know he just had he was the Carolina answer Uh, Virginia Virginia Tech always had athletic defenses and if you couldn't match up with their athletes on defense you struggled with it Greg Little could certainly match up now ryan houston was able to pound them a little bit but greg little was the difference maker in that game and it got carolina's offense it got tj yates off the snide because good lord if if they can talk the announcers hammered yates the entire time but after greg little got in there and he got that completion to get a first down and then the touchdown pass there in the corner that's when you started thinking this carolina team not only can hang with them on defense, you knew they could do that, but they can hang with them on offense and put up some points. So he, for me,
1: he's that guy, especially on the offensive side. Yeah, definitely. Tommy, who's your who's your this guy, Tommy? Tommy, I've already talked to you, Mike. Who's your this guy for this game? Who was who did you feel like just really jumped out at you? And we're gonna go ahead and caveat this by saying you can't say the right tackle.
0: Yeah. Oh well, damn it. Well, I guess I guess it's time for me to sign off, guys. Um. No, my my guy is Sean Drone. Um, You know, Ryan was a Ryan Houston was a decision maker, and it was a running back by committee situation in this game for sure. But Sean, um, I, I felt like this was the game where Sean started to establish himself as you know a, a, as 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 the feature back for that offense, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, he he came in, and and at that point he had been converted to running back. Those who don't remember, Sean came in as a safety um He played safety when we were freshmen. Then he moved over to running back. He played some quarterback in high school. He was kind of all over the map. He was like a Johnny White. um And he finally settled in at running back. uh And this is after Greg, basically him and Greg Little end up switching. Greg, for those that don't remember, was a you know came in as a wide receiver. We moved him to running back. He had a big game against Georgia Tech in 2007. He was kind of a running back for a little while. um Had that obviously that big touchdown at South Carolina, um, and that loss South Carolina in 07. Uh, But then him and Sean kind of switched spots and Sean went to that running back spot. Greg ended up going to the, going to that receiver spot and that's where they both ended up sticking. And this was the game that I thought Sean really established himself as, as the guy. And we knew we had at that point a one, two punch between him and Ryan Houston. But if you go back and you watch that game, it's, it's, two yard gains. It's one yard gains. It's a three yard gain. And then we bust one open eight, nine, ten yards and it's two yard gains and a one yard gain. And then a six yard gain. And then obviously, you know, Sean, Sean broke off a, uh, um, Sean broke off a huge one there um, heading down towards their, their end zone where the, the, the military kids sit and the band sits. Um, you know, everybody remembers that play. The one that, you know, made, made John Cooper famous for, for running alongside of them. Um, if you look on the film, no, I'm not too far behind. Thank you very much. And, uh, but, but Sean is the guy, he's the one that sticks out to me. Cause I remember at the end of that game when we had to have first downs and we had to position the ball where Casey wanted it positioned so he could kick the game winning field goal. Sean was the guy that got us to those spots on the field. Um, At the very end of that game. And that's that's what I remember the most. You know, we're all beat up. We're bruised at that point. I would already rolled my ankle. My ankle was all taped up. I'd sprained it. Um, Sean was back there. Sean was beat up. Alan Pelk was next to me. Alan's shoulder was jacked up. He was he was hurting. Um, You know, we were all a little messed up. And Sean just he kept pushing and grinding his teeth and made it happen at the end of the game. Um, and that was those little two- and three- and four-yard gains to position the ball at the end of the game were exactly what we needed. Um, and it was this type of thing that, that he'd been setting up for the whole game. He'd put himself in that position to be there throughout the course of that entire football game. So he's my, he's my this guy on, uh, on offense.
1: Little motions to the backfield. They fake it to him and drone on the end of the And drone deep into Hokies territory inside the twenty. Hey, that works. I mean, you know, Tommy went with, with Greg Little and, you know, Little had uh, four receptions for 58 yards and a touchdown, had a couple of really good runs. I think drone's a great uh, a great call as well. 12 carries for 77 yards, that big one that you mentioned. Um, you know, one of the things, and Mike, I don't know if you remember this, I remember standing over the tunnel after that game, just kind of soaking it all in. You walked back out of the tunnel, looked up at the the scoreboard to see the the final stats. Uh, and I remember you taking a look and seeing that you know Carolina put up 312 total yards, including um, 181 on the ground that day, and and that's you know 4.3 yards a clip against that Bud Foster uh, era defense was something that just didn't happen, especially in Blacksburg. So I think both of you guys calling those two offensive players for for your this guy I think is is totally admirable, and and most most of the folks listening are going to go with that. So I'll be the contrarian. My this guy number 52, Quan Sturdivant. And I, I, going back watching this, one of the things that, that I had in my notes too was one, just how deep this defense was. But one of the great things about this defense and the defense under uh, under Bush Davis was they were so good at funneling the ball back towards wherever the help was. And I always felt like Quan was that first guy where even if he wasn't making a tackle, and he had some big hits and some pretty solid, pretty solid sacks, uh, in that game. But Quan was always kind of the guy that was the first one there to push back towards where his help was coming from to, to keep a play from, from blowing up and and getting big. I I feel like that whole game, you never saw him out of place, but you really heard his name called a whole lot. So I'll just be the contrarian and throw Quan there as, 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 my, this guy. Uh, but I, I think all three of those are probably pretty, all pretty, pretty solid, pretty solid points.
0: Well, yeah. I will. I will tell. I will tell you this. Uh, sorry, Tommy. I didn't mean to cut you off there. But I, I will tell you this: if we're going to go with a defensive guy, and this isn't just to keep it in the IC family, but um, my my defensive this guy is EJ Wilson from that game. And if you go back and you watch EJ, he had a huge sack against Tyrod. Um, if anybody remembers, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a it was a we had to have a stop, um, and he was able. Uh, I mean, pulling – stretching his jersey out, getting him on the ground. I mean, everything he could do to get Tyrod down in that situation, we had to get him down. And EJ was the guy that got there first. But if you watch that game and if you watch, frankly if you watch EJ as a player generally, um and this is pro tape, this is college tape, EJ EJ was effective and he was a starter and he was um he was productive because he was always exactly where he was supposed to be and he was always doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Nobody set an edge like EJ Wilson. Um, nobody, EJ was not a guy that ever lost contain. So when you talk about funneling guys back to where the help is, Quan was one of those guys. He was, oh, from, from that, from, that, from that defensive secondary, that first level, that linebacker level, Sean, or, uh, sorry, Quan was always that guy. He was always in the right position. He was the EJ of that level because on the defensive line, EJ was always setting the edge. No one got outside of EJ right? And if they were about to get outside, EJ was was so good at setting the edge that he could slow them down enough to where the help got there. But EJ was great at setting edges and funneling guys back to the middle of the defense, um, exactly as he was coached to do. And he did that that entire game against Virginia Tech. Um, in the run game, in the pass game, he was getting pressure the whole game on Tyrod, And those were good, for the most part, those were good Virginia Tech tackles. I didn't think they were as good as this this sounds arrogant. I didn't think they were as good as our tackles or our offensive line, but they were very. that was a very good Virginia Tech offensive line. Those are good tackles. EJ was better that day. Um, Robert Quinn obviously was Robert Quinn. He's a phenomenal player, freak athlete. But EJ, I thought, was the guy on the defensive line that made the difference, and he was the one that made that defense go that day, for sure.
2: You know what's ridiculous about this discussion is, and this is why what I said in the opening uh, going into this game, is we hadn't even talked about Bruce Carter. And 54 was everywhere that game as well. And when you look at that defense that Carolina put out there, you had Bruce Carter, Quan Sturdivant, and a freshman, Kevin Reddick. And then you had Robert Quinn, E.J. Wilson, and either Austin. You had Austin in the middle. You had uh, – Tyrick Powell. Yep, Tyrick Powell. And you had all these guys, and they rotated
1: through. And Al Mullins, Michael McAdoo. Oh, um, there was Al another Mullen. defensive end that – yeah, I mean, there was. You're it's exactly the right, Tommy. It was a legitimate eight deep of pure talent.
2: Yeah, and then you had, Cersei and Bernie and Charlie Brown in the back there. I mean, this defense was loaded. Deontay,
0: Deontay Williams, is, number one safety in the draft before he broke his leg.
2: Yeah, I mean, think about the defense that they put on the field, and and a lot of people talk about Mac Brown's current recruiting and where it's going to go and whatever. You imagine that 2009 defense, and and that unit that they put out there because Tyrod Taylor could he was good and he made some good throws and they were all over him the entire night Carter going sideline to sidelines I mean this is one of the games where they had to produce they had to do what the hype said they could do and they ended up doing it but I agree with you guys and I agree with you too Mike is EJ played his butt off if there was one guy that didn't get the hype as much as the others did it was EJ and he was the difference maker on on that side of the ball that night
1: we're going to talk talk to EJ a little bit later on uh, but you guys are exactly right he had a heck of a night um, had a sack had a couple of hurries and if I'm not mistaken I I do want to withhold the right to be incorrect here but I think he was the one that hit that ball that was moving forward that they eventually said was not a fumble and I'm still not sure that wasn't a fumble Um, you know we'd like to like to give a big thanks to Ron Cherry that evening. I, I had in my notes, you know, going back, were there any controversies in the game? And I just written big letters, Ron, Ron Cherry. Cherry, yeah. Well, let, let me Ron tell you, Cherry. you're right about Ron Cherry then, and that I still think they missed
2: a the fumble there. But I tell you what, Ron Cherry's not as bad as some of the ones they've got on sidelines or in stripes these days. So <laughs> that, is, that is accurate. You know, it, he was not good, and he screwed Carolina more than once against <laughs> Virginia Tech. Um, both on that night and I believe the year before, maybe the year after, he screwed um, us
0: against state that same year. He 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 the state game in 2009. If yeah, anybody but, remembers, that was a 10 point game the whole game. We ended up losing it. Yeah, but
2: I mean you 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 hit the nail on the head. I, and w- if we talked about one play, if Virginia Tech would have won that game, that one play would that been a, been that missed fumble call because they went down and scored right after that. And yep. so that was a huge play. Let me, one name I didn't mention on defense, and I know we need to move on, Joey, but Bruce Carter's backup, Zach Brown. Are you kidding? I <laughs> didn't see the field. <laughs> didn't see the fields played in the league forever. I mean, just incredible defense.
1: Yeah, that's that. it does. I remember, it's funny you said that, Tommy. I remember watching the game back and I saw at one point they had a sideline shot of, of Coach Davis and Coach Pittman and you can see Zach right behind him, young as you know, young as the day is long. And I'm sitting there thinking, he's not playing. Oh, it's because he's playing behind freaking Bruce Carter. Um, no, it's a, your, your point is solid in that one. All right, guys, next segment of the show we like to call In My Feelings. Uh, Mike, you, you had some really good, deep down, you know, hair standing up on your arms, vivid memories before the game. What did rewatching the game make you feel?
0: You know what I remember the most about that? Seeing it on tape, I remember the grass. So Virginia Tech's field is unlike most other fields. It's a Bermuda grass field, but it's it's heavily sanded, and the grass is really, really short. And at that time of year, you can't see it from the stands, but when you're down on the field level, the grass is actually kind of spread out. It's a little sparse, and it makes for a very fast track. Um, It makes it hard as a lineman to keep your footing. That's why we wore... Longer, you know, we wore screw-in spikes for the most part um, that time of year, particularly you know on that field. Um, but I remember that. I remember the look of the grass. I remember the feel of it. I remember how short it was. I remember the sand, um, all in your gloves and you know, caught up in your tape. And um, it, I, I remember that vividly from from rewatching it on on film. And I don't know why that's the thing that sticks out. Um, but yeah, that's that's the thing that sticks out. That and the smell of turkey legs. It Just comes right back to me <laughs> like I'm sitting in the stadium, I smell it.
2: That's what's funny to me. They eat their mascot i mean that is, that is the most
1: virginia tech blacksburg thing ever They eat their mascot yeah i I never knew what to make about that but i'm I'm glad you brought that up and it's funny that it's funny that you remember smelling that on the field too mike um tommy's what did what did this rewatch make you feel? Is there anything that you Saw at this time that maybe you hadn't seen in the past, or or did this stir up a kind of memory deep down for you? What you got? Um, you
2: know, I've I've talked about it really. The whole show is, it's not a, it's not a sadness really. It's a one of those what could have been type things. When we've talked about the defense that they could put together, um you know, I watched this game and I remember a lot about that era. People just hammered John Shute unmercifully on the message boards and whatever social media there was back then. Um, but, I mean, I think he was – they did what they had to do on offense because they had a defense like they had it. And, you know, I will always look back at the Butch Davis era, at least to me, Mike may feel otherwise, others may feel otherwise, As what could and what should have been given what they were able to amass on the defensive side. I mean, that defense was as good as any defense in the country. The talent was as good as anybody in the country. And they just you know, they got it done on that night at Virginia Tech. Um, and then we know what happened the next summer and all that. It, but that is – watching this game, that's what I remember. It kind of brings back some sa- great win. Always good to beat Virginia Tech, but it kind of brings back those sour memories of that time mm. frame. Um, watching that game, seeing that defense, and knowing what happened with it in the end—it's it's a conflicted type feeling, if it makes any sense.
0: Yeah, you know, you know what the Absolutely. the most existential, um, the weirdest existential component of this is—is is that that game technically never happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, thanks to the blood sacrifice that the school made of all the wins from 08 and 09 to appease the NCAA gods. Um, you know, but the the I'll tell you what, if there was, if there was one play that I remember specifically from that game, uh, it was third down. We we're going into their end zone. Um, so again, opposite of where Casey kicked the game-winning field goal. Um, third down, it was third and I want to say it was somewhere between six and eight yards. So third and six to eight, we had to have it because we, it was one of those times where you felt like this game is over if we don't convert this third down. We have to convert this third down. And Shoup called uh, – we called it back down. It was 378, right? But what that was was a liz for the offensive line. It was, a, it, was a, it was a full slide left. Um, it was a five-man protection um, – or excuse me, a six-man protection. You had a tight end on the side to the slide, and then the back would come off the back side. And I remember we saw it – we saw the blitz coming before – I mean, I'll never forget. I mean, we just, for whatever reason, that was the one time that they tipped the blitz. And Tech was really good and and is really good about not tipping their blitzes. And they tipped it. And I remember Jason Worlds was lined up alongside of me or across from me. um, Number six. Good player. Number number six back then. He played for the Steelers. He was a very good player. He was the fastest defensive end that I ever lined up against at any level. Um, He's also a really good, really nice guy. Um, But as most of those Tech guys were, we got along personal note we got along very well with those guys they were they were hell they were a held athlete every single one of them across the board they were great competitors but they're also good people for the most part but um but yeah so it's third down third and 6 to 8 sheep calls 378 um we slide left i see worlds leaning before the snap we hit him with a hard 3 so hot hot hut and on the second hut worlds kind of tipped and i saw him coming inside so i just sat there and i waited on him and i let him i let him go ahead and come inside because we knew they were wrapping the blitz around the other side and i grabbed him and I, i'll never forget just burying him down into the three technique and me and alan pelk just wash that whole side of the line down the entire defensive line is just kind of bowling over we create this mush right in the middle and tj tj turns to his left and there's greg little running to the corner and hits greg little for a corner for a touchdown on a third down that we were just trying to convert and ended ended up being ended up being points for us, and that was you know between the Shalik hit, we felt like that was a turning point, you know, from a morale standpoint. Um, scoring there in that situation when we when we weren't trying to, we just wanted to convert, and got a little bit of good luck, right? Scoring there is is at the point at that point, I looked at that game and I said I thought to myself, we're winning this game. There's always a point in a game where you know it's either won or it's lost for the most part. That was the point that I knew. Something told me we're winning this football game. Um, And that made the rest of the game easier. But, you know, you mentioned people giving John Shoup a lot of of grief, Tommy. Um, One thing I want fans to take away from that game is that no one understands how difficult it was to run into a Bud Foster defense. Throwing the ball is hard enough with the way they disguise their zone blitzes and whatnot and their coverages. But running into that defense is like a buzzsaw because they blitz so well into the run game. That it was almost impossible to snap off a hundred yard rusher um, against against a Virginia Tech defense anytime between two thousand five, two thousand. We'll go back to two thousand four. Anytime between two thousand four and two thousand ten, it was almost impossible to snap off a hundred yard rusher on the ground against Virginia Tech. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, Joey, um, you know we had one hundred eighty one yards rushing in that game. Um, Sean had 77 of those, and it was a running back by committee situation. Um, I don't think fans understand how difficult that was and how much pride as an offensive line we took in that. It didn't look pretty. At the end of the game, you wouldn't say, wow, they almost had 200 yards rushing, but we did. Um, and the reason why you wouldn't think that we had that many yards rushing at the end of the game if you're just watching it casually as a fan is because – It was two yards here, three yards there, one or two big runs, right? And then it was two, three yards, cloud of dust for the whole game. But those, you know, against Virginia Tech, when you're running into designed run blitzes and Bud knows exactly when you're running and he knows exactly what to call and when we can pick that up and get three yards – knowing that they knew the right blitz to call, they knew what we were about to do, and we picked it up enough to get three positive yards as opposed to a zero, you know, a, a net loss or a net zero, that's a win. And we had a lot of those little wins throughout that game. Um and that was the kind of thing that just again, you know, sometimes um yeah sometimes the momentum shifting isn't you blowing the game out of, you know, blowing them out of the water. It's doing enough to keep close with a really good team to give yourself a chance at the end to win it, which is exactly what we did.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, just kind of bringing in that play about Greg Little in the end zone. And that was really cool how you set that up, talking about the way you guys blocked that and, and world's tipping his hand a little bit. Um, If anybody listening wants to go back and look for one play from that game, I'm also going to agree with you that it's that play, but I'm going to give you a different angle on it. um, the way that pass play developed part of it was because you guys blocked it up perfectly, like you said, but something, and I don't think that uh, I, I don't think that, that he's going to get enough recognition, but I, I'm going to throw it out there. TJ H threw a perfect ball on that play. Um, you had who I believe was Jay Boyd makes a nice little dig, pulls an out route. And they actually analyze this on the, on the game too, but he opens up so much space because the corner has to respect that little out route. Greg goes out, you know, plants makes his dig and that corner's wide open and tj could not have thrown that ball any better uh you know if he had 100 chances i mean it was just right on the money hit him in stride you know, perfect amount of air under it and you know why while, while yates didn't put up you know a thousand yards you know the, like tommy said earlier they were the announcers were bagging on him the whole time i think one point he was three of seven for like five yards or something in the first half he did just enough to be the perfect Butch Davis, John Shoup quarterback in that game to win that ballgame, I think. Tommy, what you got?
2: I I agree with you there. And not only that throw, and, and, you know, he got harassed the entire game. And, and, you know, him and Zach Pianato, they're they're buddies, man. Pianato got more targets from T.J. Yates than any receiver in history. But the throw that stands out to me from Yates was, I believe it was fourth and seven in the fourth quarter, and correct me if I'm wrong, he hits Little over the middle for a first down. And that was a big play. That was, I believe, after Virginia Tech had taken a lead after a a bad play um, where the blitz got to Yates and he threw the interception allowed Virginia Tech to take the lead there. But he hits Little over the middle on fourth down. You know, T.J., Broke it. Uh, didn't he break his ankle the year before against Virginia yep. Tech and Paulus came in and then melted down and he melted down and Carolina lost that game. And, and Mike speak to, you, you know, you talk about um, linemen's love for their running backs. Talk a little bit about the interaction or the sort of the marriage between quarterbacks and offensive linemen, because I think in this game, um, you know, it was rough early for Yates and you guys, but y'all settled down. Talk a little bit about that interaction there, That how that developed throughout the course of this one that ended up with the field goal to win it.
0: Well, it developed from early in the game. We were concerned, you know, are we going to be able to convert on third down? We might have to be ahead of the chains and we're going to have to convert a lot of second downs and might have to pull out some trick plays and things like that. And we, we never had, there was no concern from our standpoint as to whether TJ could get the job done. There was We never had that concern for as long as I played with him um, and as long as I protected him, I never had that concern with TJ. And the reason I didn't have that concern with him was because he was completely unflappable. Um, he never, he never got too high. He never got too low. He had the perfect quarterback demeanor. And a guy like that instills confidence in the guys around him. TJ wasn't the most skilled quarterback on that roster. Bryn Renner was, I mean, without a doubt, Bill, Bryn had all the tools he had. He was by far and away the most skilled quarterback on that roster. Um, Mike Paulus had all of the, had all the tools, but TJ had all the intangible things and put it all together at the right time. Um, and that's why TJ was a starter. TJ was reliable, um, much more reliable than the fans want to give him credit for. And if we ever have a chance to talk about the 2009 Miami game, um, I have a story from after that game, I'll save it for when we go over it. Um, but it involves me and TJ sitting outside Pantana Bob's and uh, some of our, uh, UNC fraternity uh cohorts that that had some comments about tj not really not realizing he was sitting there so i'll save that story for a different day but i took a lot i took a lot of pride in making sure that tj was successful Um, it was one of the things that i felt obligated to do because he caught so much flack from the fans and he caught so much flack from you know on like ic message boards which we were always taught not to read because they were toxic for the players Um, they were they can be to this day Uh, they certainly were for guys like me and tj um, so, you know, we were taught to avoid that stuff, but we still heard the chatter. We heard the chirping and, uh, like, I'll never forget that same year after the Florida state game, somebody threw a balled up thing of tinfoil and hit TJ right in the forehead with it. As we're walking off the field, that game wasn't TJ's fault. I mean, we put up, what was the final score of that game? I think we put up 27 or 30 points or something like that. That game was, that game was a blowout at halftime. That game was over at halftime. That that wasn't, that game wasn't it TJ's was fault. 27
1: was the final, I believe.
0: Yep. I mean, you score 27 points, you should be any football team with that defense that we had, right? Again, that was a freak game. It was a freak way the way it ended. That game wasn't TJ's fault. He did everything he was supposed to do. So I always felt a a, a need to protect him, you know, from a, from a friendship standpoint, from a player standpoint, teammate standpoint. Uh, but that game progressed from early on, we thought, you know, we're gonna have to convert second downs. And we're gonna have to convert first downs and have chunk plays and things like that to that fourth down conversion that you were just talking about. Um, I have never in my life in, in all the football games I played in, I remember as you brought that up, I I, I distinctly remember it. That was the point of the game. And I had started cramping in my quads. My ankle had already rolled. We were on a drive and we were exhausted. And we knew that if we didn't convert that fourth down, the game was over for sure, because that was at the end of the game. And there has never been a time in my life that I was more confident in a situation that we were going to convert that fourth down, because as soon as I heard the play call, we knew that's open. Offensive linemen knew it, running backs knew it, quarterback knew it. Um, From that point, I mean, the minute we rolled out of that huddle, I'm like, we're converting this. I had absolutely no stress no anxiety because in a lot lot of fourth downs you do you're shaking a little bit your nerves are high it's like we got to have this we got to have this i was already planning on what are we doing on the next play because i knew that was a conversion and i knew it was a conversion because we knew it was open number one schematically and number two tj i knew was going to get the ball where it needed to go because in that game for the most part he had our guys might've just been a step slower or the rat wasn't crisp enough or whatever it might be. Or he had somebody in his face, unfortunately. Um, But I knew that was a conversion and lo and behold, it was. And that was one of the plays that ended up, you know, led to us winning that game. And that was the one time in that game that I had absolutely no anxiety. I had no apprehension. I knew, I knew it was going to be a positive play and we were going to survive it. Um, And a lot of that was because of who we had back there at quarterback.
1: That's amazing that something that's that volatile, at least from a fan's perspective, ends up being you know one of those times where you've totally got all your wits about you and you're calm and you're, you're ready to go. That's, that's a pretty cool insight there, Mike. Well, boys, this has been a fun one. I've enjoyed coming back and, and going back in the time machine to check out 2009 against Virginia Tech. I appreciate you guys sharing stuff with me. Got any any parting shots or anything that we didn't touch on Do you want to make sure that, that our listeners get to check out when they go watch it? Watch sixty six, the dude's a beast out there. It, I think. Watch sixty six,
2: Mike. <laughs> in, in seriousness, I think it might have been Worlds got around you one time on early in that game. Third, and then third that,
0: play, uh, first third down of the game. He bull rushed me, and I overset it and gave him my chest, and he walked yep. me back. And, and that I, was, and
2: it, and it
0: didn't happen again. The rest of the no, night, if The play right before that, I put him, I put him ten yards deep on his back. Um, and then he got my ass good on the next one, but you're right. That was I, I remember that vividly too. Unfortunately, well, it's just Mike. Uh, any parting shots? Nah, man, this is a productive podcast. I'm not going to sully it with any of my uh, with any of my verbose BS.
1: <laughs> you, you sound like you might be a lawyer in another life. All right, well, <laughs> fellas, I appreciate it. Um, I hope that that all of you guys listening out there uh, enjoyed this first episode of the Throwback. Uh, hang on just one little bit. We're gonna have a little one-on-one with the guy that was mentioned earlier in this podcast. In this game, had himself a whale of a game uh, back home in his home state of Virginia. We're gonna have uh, EJ Wilson with us. We'll talk to uh, Egbert Jermius and see what he, what he <laughs> thought about and what he remembers about the game. Give him some give him some time to kind of to shine on it a little bit. Uh, but guys, I appreciate you being here. I uh, appreciate you watching with us and and giving your your two cents. Is there anything that you guys are working on, Tommy? Where can everybody hear you next? Uh, we'll be on We So I'm letting other
2: people take over this week. John's coast to coast podcast is out. Uh, Don and Ross will have their recruiting, football recruiting. We'll be back at it next week. You know, I'll say this, Joey, I'm glad that you, um, have become a part of this. And I'll say this, a lot of people are doing this stuff now that sports are shut down and all that. This has been in the mix and in the hopper, and in the think tank for a long time. So this is not something that Joey Powell came up and said, Hey, there's nothing else to talk about. Let's do these old game podcasts. <laughs> this is, this has been something that we've been talking about and that Joey's brought to Buck and Ben. And so it's, it's fun to do. And you, you know, it makes it fun. It's it's fun that you allowed me to come on this one with you, but also to have a guy that played in the game. And you know, Mike, I give you a hard time a lot and I'm going to stroke your ego a little bit, but one of my favorite things about doing these inside Carolina podcasts and being part of all this stuff is talking to guys that actually like know what they're talking about and, and that were there. And Mike's one of those guys. And it's just been great to be a part of this podcast. Look forward to hearing the EJ portion and also look forward to seeing what you got next for us, Joey.
1: All right. Well, uh, Mike, we appreciate it. I'm glad that on my first show I was able to reconcile you and Tommy and bring the nations together <laughs> yes. so that all the the IC listening audience can, can hear what unity sounds like. Uh, I want to give one more shout-out to Johnny T-Shirt for being such a reliable sponsor of Inside Carolina. You know, not just podcasts but content, just being great supporters. Go check them out. Uh, enjoy. We're getting ready to, to bring up EJ Wilson, so we'll hit that next. Uh, and then hope you guys will, will tune in next time. Uh, on the throwback we're going to be looking at a basketball game from 2017 we just hit up on the three-year anniversary of it it's the lead eight game in Memphis against Kentucky and uh, a gentleman by the name of Luke May might come up that day but appreciate you guys listening to us uh, we'll be back next time enjoy our talk with EJ Wilson and we'll catch you guys on the other side thanks Joey Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000.
0: And we're going to be right here
1: along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Appreciate you listening to the first part of our first episode ever of The Throwback here on Inside Carolina Podcasts uh with me right now is a guy that you just heard mike and tommy and i mentioned a couple of times and believe it or not uh mike actually said some positive things uh ej wilson number 92 who who, he did he absolutely did you can you'll hear it when this when this gets uh disseminated over the uh ic network later but um yeah man he he, we all had some positive things about you. you had a really good game i mean we're this is the 2009 game at blacksburg uh To Florida State at home in Keenan, after you know, as Tommy said, Samantha Ponder's husband went off in the second half. Um, So I just wanted to talk to you about it because this is one of your better games. And uh, tell us, EJ. I mean, uh, you know, matter of fact, let me go ahead and get get you in full Al Bundy mode here. All right, let's go. In this game, EJ posted uh, three total tackles, one of which was a uh, sack for nine yards of Tyrod Taylor. That, uh, as you remember, going back and watching y'all. E.J. literally has him in his grasp, switches hands, almost pulls his shirt down to about where Tyrod's knees are.
3: Taylor, pressure, trying to get away, and
1: he is dropped by E.J. Wilson. It's a little bootleg look, did not fool the defensive end. He had that. I think you had, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you had that hurry, too, where you knocked the ball out of his hands. That was a fumble, and they said it was a forward pass, right?
3: Oh, it was a set. And that's I could not wait to jump into that. Speaking of full Al Bundy mode, you you say less to get me there because I think I'm there. But um, (laughs) because no, because everyone's favorite referee, Ron Cherry, he said, if you guys had someone had jumped on that, then I would have gave you guys the fumble. I'm like, come on, man.
1: If someone would have jumped on that, I would have given you the ball exactly He's giving we, them the business. we discussed controversy <laughs> we discussed controversy in our panel in our panel part but yeah man you had a you had a whale of a game in this and one of the things and I believe it was Tommy that said it was um no actually it was Mike he said that you know, you were the guy that really set that edge all day and it kept them from being able to do what they wanted to do with Ryan Williams and running what do you remember specifically about you know, was there something different in your preparation for this game was there something different in your mindset going into it was it being back home in Virginia what was it that that helped you play such a good game that night
3: honestly it was the perfect storm um what a lot of people don't know is this game was played the day after my birthday so i had to spend my my uh, 22nd birthday in that hotel room just watching film and i mean it was my last opportunity to play in the state of virginia um so i mean it was a, it was a pretty big deal to me i mean growing up blacksburg uh, Virginia Tech, they're unbeatable in Blacksburg on a Thursday night. And I felt like we had the team then to beat them. Uh, they kind of got out of our grasp a couple years before that. So I felt like we kind of had their number. But, I mean, my my preparation for that was definitely a little bit more focused. I mean, I, we knew that team. They are very consistent. They had the same offensive coordinators, They pretty much ran the same offense. And they always had the same style of quarterback. It's just that now – with Tyrod playing the way that he was playing, it was kind of a different animal because not only could the quarterback run, I mean, he was a very, very skilled passer back in the pocket. Um, But a uh, funny story is I almost did not make it to this game. Um, <laughs> So uh, I actually – I was roommates in a house with Sean Drone, Vince Jacobs, and uh, Ed Barham. Um, So Sean's girlfriend's dog had stayed the night, but uh, the dog wasn't exactly housebroken. So we had hardwood floors. Long story short, the dog uh, used the bathroom and the hardwood floor. I'm walking to the refrigerator to get a bottle of water, slip, do a full split right there. Uh Didn't practice all week, which is why I technically did not start that game. But, um yeah, I hadn't practiced all week. So... I literally all I had was mental preparation. I think that that kind of helped because I knew exactly what I was seeing and what play was coming beforehand, but I just couldn't physically go through it during the week. So I think the fact that I'm playing in Virginia, it's a Thursday night game in Blacksburg the day after my birthday, and how many mental reps I actually had to take, I think that's kind of what led to, to that being one of my most memorable games in my career.
1: Humor me a little bit. What does, what does the injury report say? you know, is, is it like 92 Wilson out hurt growing because of dog? I mean, what does it, what does that read?
3: Like <laughs> I was, it's just, uh, <laughs> it said hurt growing. It was, it, it didn't really, of course, in college it doesn't have to be that descriptive, but uh, within the, the training room, it uh, just on the chart. It just said dog PP. So, I mean, the trainers <laughs> got a pretty good kick out of that. I mean, it, it was legit. Like I, I could barely walk. Like I, I was taped up all week, man. It, it was a bad situation.
1: This is the kind of content that I hope that the throwback gives to all of the listeners. Is on the on the training room board. It said EJ Wilson dog pee. That's awesome. <laughs> um, these these are the types of things that we only get from people that you know that actually played in the game. What do you remember <laughs> about what What do you remember specifically about the game once the game got going? I mean, if if if, if somebody's putting you on the spot and saying. Hey, E.J., what's your nuclear memory of that game? What is it?
3: Whew. I mean, that, that's a tough one. I mean, probably probably the the Ryan Williams fumble, honestly, because that just kind of was a combination of, I think, what was a pretty solid game from us and us as a team overall. It's just that our playmakers made plays, and I think kind of the guys that were involved in that, uh, Quan Sturdivant, Um, Kevin Reddick, some of those guys that were involved in that play who had just kind of been staples of that defense and guys who've been there when we were losing these close games at Virginia Tech and losing these primetime games and games that we thought we were going to win. So I think in that moment – once we kind of knew that we were going to win the game, that's what really thats what really stands out. I mean, even when we get together now, we still kind of talk about that play. Um, and, and even when you're watching some Virginia Tech-UNC football games now, they still kind of show that highlight. I mean, it, it was a great game overall, but that moment just kind of sticks out just because of everything it represented for us that season. Pressure on third and seven to keep it on the ground to Williams.
1: Tay Williams recovers inside the 25. Yeah, you know, we, we talked about this when we were mentioning the panel. You know, There was a couple of plays that kind of rose to the top about as far as, far as being the types of plays that really were the, the different watermarks of the game. Uh, we talked about, you know, Grant Shalek totally nearly decapitating a, a, a punt returner.
3: Um, we
1: talked about this play. <laughs> we talked about this play, and I think that I think those two things both spoke a little bit about the kind of the attitude and, the, and I know the words played out, but a little bit of the swagger and the edge that that this defense specifically had you guys that night. Um, and I mentioned this on the panel that you guys really were so good at at kind of spilling the ball back to where your help was um, and kind of driving, you know, driving it, whether it was back to the middle or or funneling you know, the play towards where your help was. What for somebody who's listening that that doesn't really understand that concept? Share with share with the listeners how you know, you as a defensive end or anybody actually in the front seven, what is your job and how do you get it done so that you're pushing people back towards the help and how does that help the defense play better?
3: Uh, so for us, uh, just going a little bit into what our game plan was for that game, uh, we knew the Virginia Tech didn't have a very strong uh, receiving core. They were a run heavy uh, team with Ryan Williams and Tyrod Taylor that year. So we put a lot more of our strength towards the middle of the defense and Coach was confident confident enough in i and uh the other guy i think uh robert quinn i think he was he, he was okay he he was an okay player right joey he turned out all right yeah i think so so uh just just got a nice little paycheck by the way so um he uh <laughs> he uh they knew the coaches had the confidence in us that we could really contain anything that was going to come outside uh, even if it was Tyrod trying to escape the pocket so um it, 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 it just, that that was just our job. I mean, the, the, I guess the easiest way to, to explain it is that everything works on a chain. If if you know that it's your job to, to set the outside and not let anything else get out of there, you want to make sure that you're going in there, you're being stout. And, and specifically the technique that we played uh, there, there are two things you can do. You can spill it or you can hammer. We were doing a, a lot of hammering, not trying to let anything get outside, as we mentioned, because we had loaded the box a little bit on our defense. So it was our job to make sure that everything everything fl- uh, flowed. Of course, for me, I was uh, always, mo- most of the time, on the strong side. So uh, we had guys on the backside like Zach Brown, uh, Quan, uh guys like that who, who were just had wheels. I mean, there's it, no other way to say it. But then they had wheels. I don't think I'd ever say that to Quan's face, but we knew those guys were going to catch any play that came in from the backside. So we wanted to send everything that way, which was just the strength of our defense really was the size and the physicality of our weak side linebackers. I mean, Bruce and I, I mean, we had a good chemistry, of course, playing on that same side for three straight seasons pretty much. But I mean, our, our weak side uh, help really kind of got us through and what really uh took us from being a a average defense with a lot of talent to a defense that was actually ranked in the top five in the nation at one point that season. So, I mean, that, that, that's all that really matters. It's all about when you think of, don't think about it as, okay, I'm just, I, this is my job. I just have to go do it. It is when you understand the defense and understand why this is happening, it makes it a lot easier to do your job. And you know, that if you make a mistake, this is how I need to recover from it. So.
1: Yeah, it's you. You really touched on a couple of things there, that I think are are very memorable. Not only about this game, but about the defense. It's just there was so much depth, and there was so much speed. You mentioned guys being able to lock down the backside, you know, just because they were so fast, they were able to to cover in space. I mean, if you think about, it, you've got those guys as your front seven, then you got you know Deontay Williams, who was an absolute you know lightning rod of of pain coming down into the box sometimes too. So I mean, you guys had really pressure that you could bring from anywhere, you know, even if you guys weren't, you know, weren't blitzing, you still had guys that you could bring in and shut a play down really quickly just by their athleticism. So when you have a night like tonight, like this game where you guys all really seem to be kind of working together and to your point earlier, you know, everybody's flowing together and kind of feeding off each other in that kind of chain reaction, it's really impressive to
3: see. Oh yeah, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, that's, and, and I think that's why, when I talk to people now, I find myself talking a lot more about our days in college because, I mean, for, for that group of guys, like – and it's really kind of a separation. I mean, there's not a hard line when you're talking about personal relationships when it comes to one coach's recruits versus another coach's recruits. But in this situation, I mean, we, we were competing with playing time with a lot of Coach Davis's guys, and for us, you really look at some of those guys who were the and, – and, and not to – not to try to sound cocky or anything, but who were really the stalwarts of that defense. Uh, myself, coach coach, uh, Coach Bunning recruit, Cam Thomas, Coach Bunning recruit, Deontay Williams, Kendrick Burnie, uh, Charles Brown, all Coach Bunning recruits. And then you think about some of the talent that we were were able to add with guys like Robert Quinn, Quentin Copels, Tyreek Powell, Marvin Austin, Zach Brown, uh, Kwan it uh, Bruce Carter. When when we really kind of clicked and we and we was like, hey you guys are the young guys. We're not going to treat you any differently when, when that kind of all that kind of culminated that night, as I mentioned before, with why that moment stuck out in my mind, because you have a, a you have a group of older guys who are, who are sitting here, who've been in this program, who've been through these moments and know how much it actually sucks to lose to guys who are just complete, really freaks of nature and, and amazing football players and who've, who've taken what we have as far as knowledge and being disciplined and kind of, put that on top of their athletic ability. And that's why you saw two years later, UNC has the record for most players drafted in one NFL draft. So I think that moment kind of spoke to where our program was headed at that time.
1: Yeah. You guys were definitely galvanized as, as a unit that night. All right. So peel back the curtain a little bit, you know, there's obviously when you have big wins within a program and this one, you know, regardless of what the NCAA does about, you know, erasing wins and all that nonsense, there, there's a lot of times when you have a really big program kind of era defining win like this was, again, you mentioned how rare it was for Virginia tech to lose on a Thursday night in Blacksburg. This is one where they did lose. And, and it was a, a Carolina victory to peel back the curtain a little bit and let everybody know something that, that you guys experienced, whether it was in the locker room or the bus ride or, or whatever, that, that stands out to you
3: from that game. It was just a celebration on the field afterwards. I mean, I still have pictures and pictures that we pulled from the internet and we share with each other now. I mean, we celebrated as if we won the ACC championship because, honestly, that's what it felt. I think that not only did we see that, hey, this is a big ACC win and can put us in contention for, if not the ACC championship game, for a more prestigious bowl game in the postseason. But as I mentioned, it was a culmination of all the hard work and effort we put into Changing that program around, so I mean, we just kind of let it loose, and and I will say that there were some probably non NCAA friendly uh, celebrations that weekend, not involving money. So don't try to get me caught up on that. More so, <laughs> <laughs> it won't get me, won't get me. No, more so <laughs> the consumer of alcohol and the overall debauchery that took place. But I mean, it was, it was, it was a big moment, man. And still, I can still remember some of the moments from that night so vividly from the random freestyle sessions on the bus back to just people being eager to get back and actually watch the film and actually do workouts and do conditioning the next day to kind of get our bodies right. So that kind of, it was a different, it was a different tune in the locker room. And I mean, that was right smack dab in the middle towards the end of the season. So it was a a great win exactly when we needed it. Yep. October 29th, 2009
1: in Blacksburg, Virginia was a, you know, when you go back and look at the kind of the history of Carolina football, a lot of people try to get rid of the the thoughts about you know the Bush Davis era. But this was a big win for the program and a big win for for Carolina football as a whole. So I uh, appreciate you sharing your insight with us, EJ. You want to let everybody know when the next time they'll be able to hear you on the hear your dulcet tones over the Inside Carolina podcast. When's when uh, the next know. time they hear you outside out of this?
3: Uh, the next time you mean out of this or, or or on this specific show or just inside Carolina period?
1: Just not this. Where can where can someone else hear from you if they want to hear from you?
3: Oh well, you can go to Inside the Trenches podcast with myself, John Siegley, uh, and Mike Ingersoll. Uh, sometimes I, I, I'm really the, the the voice of calm for Mike. Mike Ingersoll, if you guys have listened to a lot of our podcast, is an angry person who I chose to be best friends with about 14 years ago kind of rethinking that decision as time goes on but yeah uh we we have a lot of fun so uh check us out listen to us on there and hopefully uh Joey will have me back uh to share a few thoughts uh on this podcast with him as well
1: yeah man we'll definitely do that I appreciate you opening up with us today appreciate you giving us your time and kind of going in the way back machine talking about this game you know again 2017 Carolina comes out on top in Blacksburg comes off the mountain with that W Buddy, I appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you. I'll uh, next time we next time we talk, it'll be over some cold beverages. How's that sound?
3: Hey, it sounds great, man. Just uh, I can't wait for this quarantine to break, man. Always good times talking about old times with old friends, man.
1: All right, well, EJ, we appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening out there. We appreciate you hearing the the complete edition of the first episode of the Throwback on the Inside Carolina Podcast. Uh, we hope you'll check us out next time. Thanks once again to Johnny T-shirt. Uh, Thanks to John Siegley for editing it. And we'll catch you guys next time. Take it light.
0: Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.